0: Live from
1: Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo all up and up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Ian Hurd, Roberto Montano, Robert Pape, and Ryan Yantis. Our program tonight coming to you from the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, our home base. And our phone line's open at 1-800-723. 800-723-8289. That's one 800 723 If you want to email me a comment, it's Bruce Dumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at Dumo, at D-U-M-O. And of course, you can join us on the World Wide Web, the audio and video portion of this program at BeyondTheBeltway.com. And also, we are now live on our Beyond the Beltway Facebook page. So we literally, it's almost impossible not to find us if you're looking for us. So again, thank you very much. Uh, the next two, Hours we have a we have a historic broadcast in that uh, the president of the United States uh, has headed to uh, Singapore for his long his summit meeting with Kim Jong Un and uh, uh, he arrived in uh, in Singapore uh, earlier today uh, uh, after a long long trip a ten hour trip uh, from Washington D C hopefully he got some rest on that Uh, Kim Jong Un arrived earlier. Uh, he has been met by the local officials in Singapore. Obviously, uh, everybody's driving around in lots of limousines in Singapore, as there generally are. Security, which is very tight in this city, is even more tight. And again, there's just uh, a lot of anticipation uh, with what the president has said in advance and also uh, the expectations. And uh, uh, we have a great panel to discuss this with you uh, this evening, and I'm very interested in your thoughts as the program unfolds at one 800 723 Bob Pate, uh, a frequent guest on this program from the University of Chicago, uh, one of the world's authorities on air power. Nice to have you with us. Thanks, uh, During the break you said that, or the setup, you said that, this event is maybe beyond historic. What did uh, yes, you mean by yes, that? Yes, I think
2: that this isn't just about a historic meeting that hasn't happened before. Um, this is about um, the future trajectory of peace in the region. So it wasn't long ago, August, September, we were in a game of nuclear chicken with the United States and North Korea. Uh, nuclear threats going both ways, um, and this was scaring our allies. Uh, this was scaring um, our own people in Hawaii. Um, This was a very, very volatile situation. Now we're in a different game. Uh, It's a game of mutual de-escalation. And this isn't about whether a specific agreement comes out of this conference. This, this, This
1: is about can we keep the game from going back to that game of nuclear chicken. Uh, Also joining this evening, making his first appearance, is Ian Hurd from Northwestern University. Professor, nice to have you with us. Thank you. Uh, what's uh, What's your setup for what's happening in Singapore the next few days?
3: I think that there's less to this than meets the eye, at least if we're thinking about it in terms of nuclear politics. There's very little that these two leaders might do that would be consequential in a military sense over the long term. I think what's happening is you've got two leaders with very low domestic legitimacy, and each, for their own reasons, is looking for some kind of public relations win, In this, they happen to help each other. So they're not really adversaries here. I think they're quite friendly to each other because each sees that the other might be able to give them something that helps them against their own domestic opponents.
1: Ryan Yantis also joins us, Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Army uh, retired. Nice to have you with us. Thanks, Bruce. Your reaction, and uh, how excited are you about what's going to happen in Singapore? Uh,
0: I'm really surprised that we've come this far this quickly. And uh, the willingness of both parties to sit down and have a discussion uh, on this order and this magnitude uh, a couple of weeks ago, the president said, Nope, this isn't being taken seriously enough by North Korea. So I'm going to pull back. I'm going to pull out. And, uh, there, there was reengagement. So w- we are in, uh, a time of sea change and, and there are some interesting possibilities, but the devil is in the details. The first meeting is going to be, um, followed by many more, according to the president and his statements uh, as he left Canada and, uh, uh, in-flight reporting, but uh, this is a very positive first step, potentially. Roberto Montagna, you're one of our card-carrying Democrats this evening.
1: Uh, are you giving the president credit for the change in rhetoric over the last 10 months?
4: I think this is a propaganda coup for the North Korean leader. I think he's had two meetings on the books with Xi Jinping. I've got He's got two meetings on the books with Moon from South Korea. He's got Assad coming, and right after Trump, yeah. And, like, he is kicking our butt in this, you know, three-dimensional chess. So when the president shows up unprepared, uh, I'm concerned. Like, so Pompeo was there. But they normally – there's so much at risk that you don't put if – if it's a chess game, you don't put the king right in the middle of it, right? Yeah. So let's, let, I, I would say he's a little um, – he's looking for a, a media opportunity rather than actual progress.
3: Well, I think that it's interesting that the North Korean government has for many years hoped to get a direct meeting with yeah. the American president one-on-one. They've been trying this for many, many years, and they'd never found an American president gullible enough to go for it until they met Donald Trump. So I think that that's a good point. Uh,
2: I, think, I think it's a great point. So um, President Trump talks about how his um, strategy of maximum pressure is producing concessions. I think that the concession that's happened here is Trump meeting uh, with Kim. Um, But I would also come back and say that we have to look, uh, not just count points here. I think it's really important to remember last August, we had a situation where the North Korean leader is threatening to uh, send missiles at Guam. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, I think we can pretend that wasn't real, but the fact is this was enough um, to scare uh, the South Koreans. Um, This was enough um, to cause people in, in Hawaii a panic because of some inadvertent message that went out, thinking there really was a nuclear attack coming. So even if leaders uh, are going to be cool and not actually do these things, boy, the consequences of this game of nuclear chicken are bad.
1: Now we're in a different game, and hopefully we'll stay there. It seems to me that although he, he may be not talked about much in the next 48 hours, uh, President Moon of South Korea, mm-hmm. uh, he has... Played an integral role on both sides, as well as as, the, as China, but South Korea should get a lot of credit, President Moon, for putting this together. Do you not?
0: I, I think that? South Korea and uh, President Moon have been at the forefront of this effort, yes. as reciprocating back to overtures from the Kim family regime, mm-hmm. and, and their willingness to engage and come across the border for the southern uh, to the uh, Winter Olympics, and, and their their overt uh, engagement to try to win over friends. But Moon uh, is shrewd. Uh, he is not uh, a fool to be taken lightly. You also have had Abe out of Japan engaged, and we've already mentioned the Chinese premier being engaged. Um, but,
1: this Moon, is but, Moon, but Moon's election as being sort of a different leader of South Korea, mm-hmm. he came to power with at least an open ear to possibly reaching out to North well, that's Korea, his his that's his predecessors would never do that.
0: All right. And his immediate predecessor, who was impeached and imprisoned for, for misconduct, uh, she was more towards a conservative bent and, you know, straight-armed towards Korea. How shall Korea. we uh, – uh, let me ask one question. Do you agree,
1: Ryan, uh, with, with Professor Hurd that uh, there's a domestic problem
0: that Kim has and uh, – Oh, he has huge domestic problems. The, the sanctions that have come into into place in the past 18 months have severely handicapped the Kore- North Korean government's ability to contain their people. And uh, this is somewhat of a desperate situation for them. Okay, we'll talk more about that left. when we
1: come back. And also, what does it mean when three top North Korean military leaders are relieved of their command uh, a week before the summit? I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. I'm back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, Bob Papel, let me ask you, uh, big news a couple of weeks ago or within the last 10 days was that three top military leaders yeah. were relieved of their command and allegedly people close to Kim Jong-un. What, what does the intelligence tell us about why these guys are out
2: Well, we don't have any inside look inside of the regime. What we do know is that uh, when top leaders are replacing their top military people right under them, there's usually a concern about their loyalty. Uh, And what Kim is uh, putting on the table is some pretty serious set of changes. Now, we don't know how serious he is, but this is a sign, number one, that he may be serious about making some changes with his nuclear arsenal, which has been the crown jewel in uh, the North Korean military for
1: many years now. Ian, how do you read uh, the, the change?
3: Well, it's very hard to know what it means, that's for sure. But I think that it's possible to focus too much on these mysterious movings because the real interests seem very quite open about the North Koreans. North Koreans for many years have wanted an assurance that they won't be invaded, there'd be no regime change, want an end to the sanctions, and want some international legitimacy and subsidies, those demands, those needs are as present as ever, and you don't need to go looking into the inside machinery to realize this. These are things that they've wanted all along and they wanted for a long time. What Trump has done essentially is give the, all the concessions up front before they even start negotiating by giving security assurances, by suggesting that uh, that they'll change the military uh, uh, exercises. So I don't think that we need to be reading the mysterious tea leaves on North Korean leadership in order to recognize what their core interests still seem to be. And those are very plain to see.
1: I suggested several weeks ago, uh, maybe months ago on this program, that when this looked like it was going to take place, is that denuclearization, the definition that we have, is not the one that Kim Jong-un has. No. No. If we could get him to agree with our definition, in other words, get rid of all of your nukes, our side would basically do the same thing as regarding troops and denuclearizing what we have in South Korea so that literally he could he could go forward knowing that uh, he's not going to be invaded or attacked by the United States or South Korea, and, and we have the understanding that he's not going to send nukes to either South Korea, to Guam, or to Japan. So I, 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 I looked at it in a very simple tit-for-tat. This is, this is what both sides really want. And uh, most of the guests that we had around the table during that period of time said that they thought it would be, although it looks simple, it would not be a good idea because U.S. policymakers would absolutely under no way give up our presence in south korea uh, is that's
3: that, let's take it from the north korean perspective why on earth would they for a minute think that trump would live up to that sort of a promise it seems entirely incredible in the literal sense that another, that the north korean government would think that that was a an ironclad guarantee
2: and i
1: think that Ian's because, right, because but, of what because of why explain that
3: Well, because they've seen how Donald Trump operates and how the thing that he says today might be contradicted tomorrow. Would they
1: also see that there's a U.S. president that's willing to roll the dice and do things beyond the box as opposed to any of his predecessors who basically would have been under the gun, no pun intended, of the military-industrial complex? Well, for
3: the North Koreans, the military weapons, or at least the program, is very useful, one, as a deterrent against invasion, and two, as a bargaining chip. And they've kept the deterrent over the years and used the bargaining chip repeatedly to get paid-off goodies. Uh, They don't have much incentive to get rid of this, especially if they're facing Donald Trump and he doesn't have any credibility as a negotiator. I I, I
2: think Ian makes a good point when he says that it's unlikely that we're going to see trust magically emerge. But that's if we only think about this as a single-shot play. Um, If we think about this as something that could be protracted over time, where there's a series of steps, or a series of moves. Think of this as a game of mutual de-escalation. Um, that's something that has um, much more uh, prospects of succeeding. And we already see uh, with uh, President Trump, he's already talking about something longer term. Um, we already see that uh, the North Koreans have made very, very clear uh, in the last month that this is not going to be about unilateral disarmament. So what we might be heading toward here is not a single shot where it has no basis for us to trust each other what could be happening is a game of mutual de-escalation
1: yeah. but the president <laughs> has said they've got one shot i mean he, no, he has, doesn't that, he said well, he said,
0: well yeah. i'm sorry he, bruce you're wrong okay I, I was listening to the radio npr so it's okay. not some far right wing <laughs> okay and there's trump saying look i'm gonna go meet with the guy i'm gonna get a measure of him we're gonna have a discussion." And if we can, we're going to keep meeting and keep moving on this. It's not just a one shot deal for this meeting to be. Hmm. I, I think
2: you're, you're right know. that President Trump I think is I've not guaranteeing.
0: I think he's not guaranteeing
2: that he will go through the protracted process. I think what Trump is doing is making clear he's very open to it. However, mm-hmm. Trump has also said pretty clearly that if he gets some, you know, something wrong in these first meeting or two, he may just back out altogether. Right,
1: he said in the first minute. Right. You, right. That, he wants to to he's going <laughs> to he's going to And, he's and gonna this is a guy, this guy
3: who can't have tea <laughs> with the Canadians without losing his stuff. So right. there's not much evidence that he can pull off a long-term strategy with North Korea.
4: part, part of the challenge is that President Trump's not going to be here very long and this his counterparty is going to be there for another 40 years by a democrat well it, it, let's say he wins an election after this what's that 8 years max well it's mm-hmm. and, and and so and so the, the the other side is looking at this as, as a 40 year you know right. you know so when you're negotiating if you're if you're North Korea you're just going to run out the clock like you always do, yeah. and you're going to play the game. And, and, and if, if I'm not advising North Korea, obviously, but if I'm him, I'm saying, well, I met with them. We did our best. We're going to go back to our regime
3: but I think your point about propaganda win is important because I think that's right on the substance, but the North Koreans I imagine are smart enough to realize that they can make some empty promises oh, to Trump sure. and he'll believe them. <laughs> he'll take the big envelope yeah. and act as if yeah. it was a great victory no and they'll appreciate, the North Koreans will appreciate that they are giving him something that he really values. Right. Right. It's not a long-term substantive agreement, but they're giving him his ego and sure. his PR. Sure. And so I imagine that they will do that. It's right. costless to them more right. or less. And that'll give him, Trump something to crow. So you, what I'm hearing
1: from you, uh, Early on in the conversation, Ian, is you, you have no confidence in the president's going to pull off anything positive. This is a, this is a bunch of BS. A
4: bunch of sizzle.
3: Yeah. That's right. Yeah.
2: But no stake. But I, but uh, I and I think should...
1: that we need to define what you mean by positive
3: a little bit. So whose scale of goods look are we judging?
2: somewhat different part of the um, story. So since April 2016, when Trump gave his America First speech, Trump put on the table then that he wants U.S. troops out or certainly diminished from South Korea. Um, the uh, North Koreans very much want U.S. troops out of South Korea. Um, the Chinese yeah. want U.S. troops out of South Korea. And the Chinese, of course, have been talking to uh, the leader of North Korea. Um, and so what you might have here is not uh, exactly um, uh, a deal that's just about nuclear weapons. Right. It's possible you might have an um, uh, overlap of interests where Trump himself uh-huh. may want those troops to be reduced.
1: Right, right. But uh, also- speaking of all the things that the president has said, let's take a listen to uh, a recent comment about uh, his upcoming uh, visit to Singapore, which he's now there. Here's what the president had to say. I really feel confident. I feel that Kim Jong-un wants to do something great for his people. And he has that opportunity. And he won't have that
5: opportunity again. This is a great opportunity for peace and lasting peace and prosperity.
1: How can we uh, guarantee some prosperity for North Korea, Ryan, if that's one of the things that Kim Jong-un might want, at least according to what the president
0: believes? Okay, as the wonky history guy at the table, and no offense to anyone, but uh, July of 1953, uh, the military leaders sat down at a table and said, here is the armistice. We're going to stop fighting. We're going to exchange prisoners. We're going to step back, and we promise we won't shoot at each other. And within the next three months or so, the political factions will come together and come to a lasting peace. So my recollection, that's uh, 74 years ago, 11 months um, that they've been working on this. You know, President Trump is not the end-all, be-all for elected uh, officials, but he has gotten the North Koreans to the table, and we've moved back from the saber-rattling, the threats, and the bellicose. I, I am optimistic that this is the start of something good. And I'm hopeful that, you know, i got three young daughters I want to see, you know, lived into a nice, ripe old age, peacefully and happily. Why has it been taken so
1: long, Professor Hurd, for the the Korean conflict to end? This seems to me like it would be something simple to do, especially in this climate that we're literally in right now.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, the conflict obviously has ended in a hot sense, but the mm-hmm. legal conflict has not been resolved with a treaty. That's partly because this sort of stalemate on the ground, essentially, that ended the war is easy to maintain, or there's no problem that it's not legalized by, uh, by a peace treaty. So that's easy to repeat and just keep it going. Another factor in the bigger picture is that countries don't generally declare war on each other anymore a bit of an anachronism. It hasn't happened right. in many decades that countries have formally declared war. And this is kind of a one leftover case where a formal declaration of war wasn't wrapped up when it ended, and there's not a whole lot of uh, precedent for it. What, but it what, would be what, relatively what some, easy. What, are, the, what just, are
1: some of the legal points? You said that the, the – the le- what are some of the legal issues? Okay. well, the, Both sides have put down their arms. They're, they're not killing anybody. That's sort of a big thing. What, what are the legal points that – well, it can be as simple
3: or as complicated as you want to make it. You could write out all the terms on which the peace is to exist, including where boundaries are and how you negotiate rivers and islands and stuff. And that would be quite complicated, and that's partly what has held up the agreement. Or you could make it a very simple letter that just has one line with a two-side sign, and they agree to end the legal state of war between them. But the problem yeah, with wanna, that I is...
1: Wanna, I want to come back. I want to get everybody's uh, reaction yeah. to that. That, to me, sounds like something simple... It sounds like something the president might be able to pull off, and that would certainly be part of, at least as he defined, success. I want to get everybody's reaction to it when we come back, because then he could have his military parade for all the Korean War veterans. I'm Bruce Dubon, (laughs) back shortly from Chicago. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799 Seven zero nine six. That's seven six zero seven nine nine seven zero nine six. Or visit him online at Brian Sells the Desert.com. We're back in Chicago. Let's uh, take a call. Let's go to Spokane, <laughs> Washington. Mike is listening to us on KXLY. Mike, go ahead.
0: Thanks, Bruce, for taking my call. With you know, talks with North Korea is a good idea. Uh, with the background, which we know, that North Korean leader Kim Jong-un has tortured and killed thousands of people, including an American who was tortured in North Korea and died in America. So some suggestions and ideas. Um, location of North Korean missiles is necessary with inspections. North Korea should allow information to flow freely between the United States, um, South Korea, and America. Freedom of event. information is essential, but could open doors in, in North Korea. And I think North Korea will continue to increase a wedge, or try to, uh, between the United States and South Korea. Kim Jong will work uh, to end missile defenses in South Korea, and tigers can appear peaceful and then attack.
2: Mm-hmm. Bob I, I think he's the caller has a lot of good points here about why this is an important moment uh, for the future of security in the region. And if things don't go well in the summit, we could be um, back into a negative game. I would also like to, though, add one other thing that we haven't talked about yet, which are the geopolitics of the region so we focused a lot just on the u.s. and north korea but if u.s. troops leave the korean peninsula this is going to have big effects in the relations with china the korean peninsula japan and other countries in 2015, um, I was in Seoul for the Seoul Dialogues. Uh, the uh, president of um, uh, South Korea has dialogues here among security experts once a year, um, and I was lucky to go because of my work on, on terrorism and air power, actually. Um, and I had a chance to see uh, what, it, what the discussions were like, not just with the South Koreans about North Korea, but how the Japanese felt about changes on the military posture in the South. And they were extremely concerned that what could happen would actually lower their security. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that as we go forward, there is the very important issue of peace between the United States and North Korea, but then there's the larger geopolitical game, which means if we do end up reducing troops in South Korea, this isn't just about South Korea. This is about how the Japanese are going to worry about their security now vis-à-vis China. And that's something that could be an unintended consequence and impact coming out of this summit. Um, and I think we just need to be aware. This is why this is so complicated when you hear people say, well, wait a second, this, this is complicated. Because it's not just about the bilateral relationship. It's about the geopolitical
1: situation. Professor Hurd, do you agree with that?
3: Yeah. And I think that that plays well with the thoughts earlier about the uh, a peace treaty. The simple peace treaty is easy to negotiate, and the North Koreans have wanted that for a long time. It's the Americans and U.S. allies that have not wanted to allow it to be so simple because there have always been, on the American and allied side, an interest in settling some of these regional issues. The North Koreans would love a simple peace treaty, and maybe Trump will give them one, but that's not what American foreign policy has fought for for decades.
0: I'm not an expert on... uh legal international law. The, the challenge, and Professor Heard said that there, you know North Korea or the Korean War was the last declared war and it was an undeclared civil war. North Korea was not really a nation at that point. Korea was an occupied part of Japan until 45. We, the, the Anglo allies, took the southern half on the 38th parallel. The Soviets took the northern half to effect the surrender of Japanese troops. The North Koreans and the North Korean Army was largely made up of uh, Soviet soldiers and and people who had trained in the Soviet Union, and they saw themselves as the true uh, resistance to the Japanese. We repatriated and we employed former Japanese sympathizers in South Korea. So that entire belt has been tainted in the North Korean mind. The peace treaty that matters is the one between North and South Korea because they are... At heart, one country that was split and now are two parts. So they're the two parties that have to come to a peace treaty. Our, our status of war is through the United Nations. We went there as a reaction force and then we're codified by the United Nations to lead that effort to support South Korea and repel and expel the North Koreans and the Chinese. What all this adds up to me is that
2: it I think there's been a set of expectations that there'll be some immediate outcome out of this summit. I think it would be better if there was a protracted set of outcomes that would go over years because it's not just building trust between the United States and North Korea. It's having whatever deal ends up uh, consummating between the United States and North Korea, not lead to still bigger problems where suddenly the Japanese now are worried that America is abandoning Asia altogether.
4: So... uh, I think we, we have to realize that not everybody wants unification, and that's the big thing we're not talking about. Right. There are elites in the north who will lose wealth, prestige, safety. Their families will be in a much worse position. And that's why, if, to me, it's so interesting when Kim is moving people three or four at a time, and if you don't address that, you'll never have the unification. And it, it, it's an, it's an, but there's it's, people in the south that don't want unification, too. It's not, I mean, well, it's not all – not
1: everybody there thinks this is a good idea. The
4: one that really wants unification is, is the dear leader to the north, except he wants in the different terms. Right,
1: yeah, with him on top. So, yeah. My, my, my contention yeah. is
4: he's, playing, he's, he's running out the clock, running out the clock, getting concessions from Trump who will say, hey, the Japanese will give you some support. Oh, you know that, that, that the uh, sanctions that we put on you from China just like eight months ago? We'll take those off. So we are about to give away the everything – and, and for and for, for empty promises. The, the the problem is we we need a long term relationship that that says we're going to give you amnesty to you war criminals in the north. We're going to get some of those people out of those gulags, and we're going to try to put in some human monitoring, human rights monitoring. Because if you don't do that, we can't have a peace. So well, like, in two thousand fifteen, okay.
2: when I was in Seoul, what. President Park, it was then President Park, the woman who was the head of of South Korea, she was putting on the table unification with the North. She was meeting with President Xi, that is the leader of China. They were jointly talking about this. And the people who were the most upset in that conference were actually the other allies in (laughs) Asia because they they realized what that would mean would be unification without American troops on the peninsula. And so these giant consequences uh, outside of the little summit. So we're going to focus so much just Mm -hmm. on the summit, and it is very important. My point here is that we have multiple reasons why we should want a protracted outcome over time, Mm -hmm. and hopefully that... That's what
1: we can have some patience yeah. from our side. Well, also, from a political standpoint, don't we want this to be protracted? I mean, frankly, I would think the president, yes. uh, I would think the president wants some definition of success coming out this week. Yep. And then he wants to have an opportunity to have another high visibility thing. Maybe he invites Kim Jong-un to Washington, He's, which yep. I think he wants to do. Sure. And, again, if every three or four months there is some movement on this uh, Korean-U.S. relationship, Uh, from a political standpoint, it helps Kim Jong-un, we think, and we think that it helps President Trump as well. And it becomes, you look at the political calendar, do do you see that? You say that both guys really sort of need each other and sort of are egomaniacal. I mean, doesn't that make some sense that that the president would like to string this out until re-election in 2020?
3: Yeah, I think they're both leaders who are living essentially day by day in their domestic politics. And so they don't have very long time horizons. And they see that they can get something of value out of each other. And I think each sees it in the other. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship. I don't see this as a meeting of adversaries at all. They're two like minds.
4: Co-conspirators. One thing I'd like to... No collusion. Go back to the the caller's
0: uh, point, Mike's point. Um, and he talked about uh, the verifiability of and and the ability to see what's going on in North Korea and getting information into North Korea. And to me, that is the the most um, incisive, uh, seminal threat to North Korea is the influx of information about the outside world because they have lived in this Potemkin village where they've controlled information, the thoughts, and the minds of their people. And I worked with East Germans after the wall came down. And uh, I was there after a period of time where they were used to the West, but they were still overwhelmed by the, the affluence, the options, the choices that we had in the West that we took for granted. For them, it was, you know, how could you live this well this long? The Germans had lost, the East Germans had lost the Second World War in 50 years. Does the Koreans have lost the, or the same thing. Does Kim
1: Jong Un? Do we know to what extent is he aware of what life in the West could be like? I mean, you see, his people are in the dark. Absolutely, does he know it? He knows. Absolutely, it's been reported he watches our TV trip of his life (laughs) Mm -mm. today. He went what they said today. Well, I think that
0: he went to uh, school in Switzerland, so he had to get there somehow. Okay.
1: Yeah. It's a long I guess as, I, yeah, I guess
0: as, I guess as leader as leader of
4: uh, well, yeah. and, and,
2: and we just were talking in the break about uh, we, we give Bulls him the intel Rodman so yeah. he has a he, he yeah. definitely has some sense of what's well, let's, happening. let's in talk the a moment about
1: Dennis Rodman because we've yeah. talked about him a lot on this program for the last two years when this looked like it might be a possibility or, or as, as a long shot even during the campaign when I suggested these two guys should meet. Um, Dennis Rodman's going to be there. I mean. Even though it's not been reported by anybody, I would be dumbfounded that the president and Dennis Rodman have not spoken. And I think the two of them should have spoken because nobody, at least that we know in America, other than maybe Mike Pompeo, and he knows him on a different level, probably nobody in this country knows Kim Jong-un better than Dennis Rodman. Why would you not go to him to get some intelligence as to what sort of a guy this guy is?
2: Uh, And I think that uh, we don't know the details, obviously, because those uh, conversations would be super secret. But what I do think what we see is that this young leader um, does have an eye toward the West. Now, we don't know how much of an eye toward the West. But the biggest thing that we see with Rodman is somebody who's not just simply stuck in a little bubble. Um, This is somebody who at least has some little
1: window outside into the West to this day. Yeah, we're going to talk about that when we come back. 1-800-723-829, from coast to coast and border to border. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. I was just making the point that I, uh, I'm going to make a prediction. I, I think I predicted long ago that I thought there would be a meeting between Kim Jong-un and the president. Suggested it. Uh, this goes back almost to, to campaign time. And uh, we talked a lot about Dennis Yeah, yeah and, you,
2: and you should take some credit, Bruce. Well, this I, was I last mean, in August, t- and you're the one who one actually put thing- it on the table before I heard it from anybody else.
1: <laughs> well, I think one of the things that we can do on a show like this is we can we can discuss sort of the impossible things uh, in in a in the in the manner in which we bring things up here. And you know, we have a I think we have a president who sort of thinks in those terms as well, whether he's whether you like him or not, he sort of thinks a little bit beyond the box. And I think that uh, one thing I, was, I suggested, uh, you know, trying to have a uh, uh, coming up with a, with a solution or, or an actual end uh, to the Korean conflict uh, would be that that would give the president another opportunity. You know, he's talked about this military parade, which I think is a cockamamie idea. I've said that on the air. <laughs> but, again, if, if, if he can make peace... Uh, legal peace, you know, with the North and the South, then that gives him to have reason to have a thank you, welcome parade, thank you parade for the Korean War veterans, many of whom feel that they have been given a short trip like a lot of Vietnam veterans. It would give an opportunity to have his military parade for the Korean. All these things unfolding, I don't think all of that would unfold between the midterms but uh, inviting Kim Jong-un to the White House for a visit a state visit before the midterms I don't think that's beyond the possibility of what the president would be thinking about I think it's it's it gives everybody great photo ops I agree with you professor that it gives maybe Kim Jong-un a little more credibility but at the moment Kim Jong-un already has the credibility he is viewed as a world leader just given you know the calling cards he's had recently and uh, you know, President Assad's gonna come visit him in the next week. Well,
2: and we that do movie. know that the American public loves to see their president act in statesmanlike fashion. Um, now Trump of course is very volatile on this, so yes. but even with President Trump in the last few weeks you've seen um, his approval ratings have started to drift up. Okay. And this is really something that I'm sure he's paying attention to of all people. So if he sees that his approval ratings are actually gonna go up during this period.
1: You might, your prediction might well come true. I think also to go back to what Ian said, both of these guys need each other.
3: Yeah, and I think the way that we're talking is really revealing of the fact that there's very little substance to these diplomatic interchanges. Right. The tenor of our conversation has turned into photo ops and how things get presented to the electorate. Does the substance has like vanished. Well, and I think that's right. And Dennis Rodman is a symptom of this. It's yeah, quite pathetic what yeah. yeah. the Americans think of I Dennis Rodman rather than, let's say, somebody who knows something about Korean society, history, culture, language, as, uh, it, but
1: as but the next but, person but And the these president. are not so mutually. Just, oh, go ahead. Sure. Go ahead. Doesn't it, Ken? Doesn't it, generally speaking, always come down to the personalities, though? I mean, personality, it's, it's like a presidential campaign. You may have the smartest guy or, 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 or woman running for a particular office, and it's that person who has the ability to communicate and be r- relatable to voters, that, that why people pick one candidate over the other. But in this particular case, you have two guys who they, they shot off their mouth. I mean, they went way over the top with, with, with rhetoric against the other person. And and yet they get international coverage because of it. And as you said, each has to play to their base, and, 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 and both of them sort of need each other. But it comes back to, I mean, one of them, either one of them could pick up the phone and say, we're going to do X, Y, Z, and he also has to deal with his staffing and his military that are going to either salute him and say, yes, we're going to do this, Or if there's somebody in the way, whether it's a John Bolton or whether it's these three military guys that Kim Jong-un ousted last week, I mean, he he has the ability to do that at least now.
3: And I think that those are good reasons for why we should not take this meeting very seriously
5: on the substance.
3: I don't think it's an international diplomatic moment about nuclear weapons or peace treaties or six-party talks. It is more on the order of what you've just described. And the substance is somewhere else. I don't think the substance is in Trump's mind or even in his interests. He has no idea. And that's the way that he operates. I think when he does get pushed on substance, what you see is what happened at the G7 this week where he can't have a substantive conversation with people who disagree with him. He just loses his capacity to operate as an adult human, it seems. Yeah, I think that I think
2: trivializing this. So I think that domestic politics certainly plays a role. I think that personalities play a role. But trivializing this to the point that this is just simply a show and nothing matters, I think just is going too far because the fact of the matter is um, just uh, six, eight months ago, we were talking about um, real nuclear threats uh, from both sides. Uh, we are talking about real wedges occurring between the United States and South Korea, Um, We're talking about China coming in to uh, essentially pick up the gains that we are uh, creating, just leaving on the table for them to pick up. Um, And so I definitely think that domestic politics matters. I definitely think uh, photo ops matter in the near term. But that doesn't mean that this isn't a very, very serious and deadly business. So trivializing what's about
0: to happen, I think, is a mistake. And I'm going to say, I didn't vote for President Trump, nor did I vote for candidate Clinton. Uh, I took a third option. But what I have seen about Trump that I like is he's a a person who sees what's possible versus what does the big smart guy with the big smart book tell me. And I'm not taking a swipe at academics, but for 74 years, we've been listening to the smart, real smooth-talking folks from the State Department and the subject matter experts and we've gotten nowhere. And as a GI who served time in South Korea, I really don't want to see us in another ground war or any kind of war in Korea. It's bad.
1: I'm Bruce Dumont. We've got a whole another full hour coming up. Great conversation tonight. one 800 723 When we come back, we will continue our discussion And your calls at one 800 723 8289
5: Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience.
1: Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 799 7096. That's 760 7096. Or visit him online at Brian Sells the Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We're talking about the uh, Singapore Summit, uh, which uh, some guests this evening think are beyond historic, and others think that's not so much. It's going to be a big photo op. So we have difference of opinion as to what the expectations are. Uh, Roberto Montano, you're the closest thing to a card-carrying Democrat at the table this evening.
5: (laughs) And and I want to get your
1: reaction as to, uh, I mean, over the last year and a half, when there was the the saber-rattling and then the idea of the summit, there really hasn't been too much of a response from the Democrats. They've been relatively quiet. Um, in their heart, are they supportive? Are they rooting for the president to succeed or for the president to fail? We,
4: we, we are always rooting for the president to succeed. He's the captain of our ship. If he drops the ball, we're in trouble. Um, you know, Democrats are patriots. And, you know, we, 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 we are worried about our country. And we are worried about our country because chaos is bad for America. And this is the avatar of chaos. This, this, this president just does whatever he wants. When he wakes up in the morning, watches watch Fox and Friends, and he responds to that. He's all id. There's no strategy. At least that's how it seems to us. And I think that not just externally, with outside the party, you're seeing uh, election after election after election. In my opinion, it's votes of no confidence. Um, I'm really excited about Texas. You know, Door work against Ted Cruz. I think he's got a real shot. And if Texas goes blue, well, that, that's not going to bode well for, for the administration. Um, frankly, we, we love our country just like everybody else, and we're afraid of where but, it's going.
1: Why is it that no – I mean, in all deference to you, you're a guest on our program, Aaron. I respect you, and you sure. also uh, served uh, as a medic in the U.S. Army. Uh, but that that tone does not come out of Democrats at the national level. No. Why not?
4: Puerto Rico? <laughs> like <laughs> how about three million U.S. citizens that are that are forgotten as they are about to walk into their next hurricane season? What are we doing there? So so
1: speaking out, Just against, for one. <laughs> speaking out against no speaking out against Puerto Rico, you put that on the same level of nuclear uh, annihilation by the North Koreans? Well, is that one, a is a,
4: one is a, a – a, a, we're absolutely going to get a hurricane season, and it's absolutely going to
1: – What does that have to do with the question I asked? We think 4,000 people the, died. Why is it that the National Democratic Party right. at this moment, right. there isn't anyone that I can think of that has been outspoken in denouncing President Trump? Now, they took a shot at him when he was, you know, fire and fury. But since in the last couple of months, when it looks like there might be a summit, the Democrats are relatively silent. No, they're not, If they're they're out there, who are they?
0: Yeah, and not a a Democrat. Didn't sleep in a a Holiday Inn Express last night. (laughs) But the the top Senate Democrats, in a letter on Monday, told the president, and this was by uh, Minority Leader Schumer, he said, any agreement with North Korea must build on current nuclear test suspension, and ultimately include the dismantlement and removal of all nuclear, chemical, and biological weapons from North Korea. So That's good. I, I that's think, his position. No, that's, that's, Trump's uh, le- position. that's a letter that's signed by the Senate Democrats. And I don't really like Mr. Schumer, but read the article, did some research on it. And uh, as the leader of the, uh, what, Foreign Relations Committee uh, with uh, Bob uh, Menendez, you know, they're they're working in concert. This is telling... Not only the domestic audience, but the North Koreans and others hey, the Senate that ratifies uh, treaties is paying attention. And here are our terms that need to be included. So this is a good move by the Senate Democrats. My point is that there is no real opposition then on this right. point. Well, and, and I don't think is, there should be. But I think oh. that's
3: because we don't know what we're talking about yet. Mm-hmm. It's not at all clear what the terms of any I, agreement might be. And as you're pointing out, yeah, we'll see everybody who thinks about the issue will have some sense of no. what make for decent terms and what's an unacceptable term. I think and, the Senate Democrats they're are saying impech- they are saying they're worried that Trump is going to give away the store. Right. And that they want to make sure that he doesn't, or if he does, that there's a Senate check against that. Should there
1: be a Senate ratification of whatever comes out of uh, the the summit?
4: Lindsey Graham already wrote an AUMF. to back. What is that? uh, Sorry. It's an authorization uh, use of military force. It's what has to happen before we can technically legally go to war. So there are people that are talking about it. Now, the Democrats are saying, well, wait, hang on a second. Before we give war a chance, let's see if we can't work this out. Um, well, why would know, we
1: even suggest that prior
4: to the Because summit? the well, president's asking for full backing, and there are some people that are like, okay, let's give him that.
2: Bruce, for decades, uh, Republicans and Democrats um, have agreed that North Korea is a problem. Right. That's not really an issue. I think, though, that Ian's right that once we start to see the details of an agreement, whatever those details are, that's when that consensus that somehow North Korea, we have to take – Uh, take seriously, could start to fracture. It may fracture along party lines, but up until now, the reason you're seeing the answer to your question, uh, not really a lot of dispute and not a, a disagreement with Trump, it's because they have long agreed Republicans and Democrats, that North Korea is a problem. If you look at opinion polls, by the way, the Chicago Council on Global Affairs does opinion surveys every year. You will see enormous consensus in the public, Republican and Democrat independent, about non-proliferation as if not always number one, number two on the public's mind. Yeah. So this is underneath that consensus here of the political leaders. There's not a lot of capital to be made to be uh, anti- uh, Peace with North Korea. And we supported no, so, we supported but, Clinton in '94.
4: But, we supported Bush in 2005. Eight, I mean but, six.
1: But but coming back from whatever comes out of this summit, yeah, should it be codified in such a such a way where the Senate weighs in on it, so you don't have the situation like we had with the Iran deal, where the president makes a deal with the Secretary of State,
5: mm-hmm.
1: and and Congress doesn't agree with it. Do we do we want to repeat? That possibility, I, especially I, when Republicans were complaining, A, the Senate should be should be weighing in. Shouldn't both parties be weighing in that this, the Senate should be involved? There's not even it. a question. The president
4: said that that should happen.
2: Yeah, that's right. You're, you're definitely yeah. right. The only reason to hesitate, Bruce, is because, as Ian said, we're not sure exactly what's going to come out and so it might not be the case that we're at a point where it's something so significant it would rise to the level of a potential ratification but you're absolutely right that we're seeing the breakdown of the Iran deal in part not completely in part because um, it never received senate ratification
1: and you you have suggested a couple of times tonight that you're not very optimistic that it's going to be more than a photo op but look into look into your crystal ball what would be success as you would define it in this summit.
3: Well, I think the interests that matter are the interests of the people who live in Korea, both Koreas. I think that's where things start. I think that we live in a world of nation-states and sovereign borders in which deference is given to uh, the government that governs the space to do it in the way that it wants to. This is the foundation of the the sovereign state system. And within that, then there's some tension when you get to the point where a government is mistreating its citizens to the point of inhumanity. I think that the real question here is, can the North Korean government be um, induced to treat its citizens in a way that raises their welfare above the level where it's been? I think the way to do that is not to have Dennis Rodman and Donald Trump show up for a photo opportunity in Singapore. It's also not to threaten them with fire and fury, but it's to work smart through a professional foreign service and through social contacts to try to create nudges to get uh, new systems in
1: North Korea. I want to follow up on that and get everybody else an opportunity to answer the same question when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Okay. Again, we'll is come on back six. in Chicago. Thanks very much the G-6. for yes, we are the G-1. joining us. We're back on the air, guys. Um, uh, I'd like to take a moment to let each of our guests uh, identify themselves and talk a little bit about themselves. And we'll start with uh, Roberto Montaño.
4: My name is Roberto Montaño. I'm a Chicago guy. I'm a commercial realtor.
2: Bob Pape. Um, My name's Robert Pape. I'm a professor at the University of Chicago. I've been uh, studying international security affairs for, geez, almost 30 years now. I spent a few years teaching for the U.S. Air Force um, and uh, work on issues of air power, economic sanctions, and terrorism. Nice.
3: Ian Hurd. I'm Ian Hurd from Northwestern University. My latest book's called How to Do Things with International Law that looks at the power politics of international
0: legalization. Ryan Yantis. Ryan Yantis, retired Army lieutenant colonel. I'm a Pentagon 9/11 survivor, and I work with uh, my fellow World Trade Center survivors in a group called American Pride. We visit with schools and groups. And we're coming up on the 17th anniversary of 9/11, and uh, for many young people who are juniors and seniors in high school, they were babies when it happened, so they've grown up in the shadow of 9/11, and we provide a uh, personal perspective on it in survivors' voice. How do they, How do they? How, how do you arrange it? Is it school? speeches that you give or how do you do that um last september 11th i uh, got on the stage at eight in the morning and got off the stage at three in the afternoon Mm -hmm. i had about 1400 kids come through the auditorium for Mm 45-50 minutes at a time and uh, other than a sip of water and a bathroom break here and there i I did it iron man we try to match the needs and interests of the schools Uh, if they want to have their ap classes the uh, advanced placement classes that's great But it's important to have the survivors there to put a personal face on it and answer questions about what we saw, what we did, Mm -hmm. and uh, try to help people understand because there's a lot of bad information out there about 9-11. Worthy worthy cause. I asked before the break, uh, Ian Hurd offered his assessment
1: of how he would define uh, success. Bob Pate, how would you define success this uh, weekend?
2: I think the number one uh, way I would define it is not going back to the game of nuclear chicken. So last summer, we had um, one of the most tense periods with North Korea we've ever had, and we certainly just don't want to repeat that. Um, I don't think that's a fault of either just the Trump administration or President Trump or uh, uh, Kim. Uh, I think this is, uh, that was a mutual problem. Both of them are now in a game of uh, mutual de-escalation, and I think that uh, it's not so much about the details of exactly how that game continues, just that it continue, and That we certainly don't go back to
4: um, the game of nuclear chicken.
2: That is too dangerous. Roberto Botanio.
4: Um, if the president doesn't give away the store, I'll be happy. I think he's going to make a bunch of promises. He's going to tell people. No, that but
1: what is success? How do you define success?
4: The president not giving away the store. Like don't tell, don't make promises that we can't keep. There's these are six well, party no, talks. No, no, but,
1: but be, be specific. What, what do you want him when you say don't give away the store? Uh, people don't know what you mean by that. Okay, there what, are what sanctions should, in what place. What should he do?
4: Not what should he not do? He can't prom, He can't put us. He can't put America in a weaker position. And the way that he might do that is by promising to allow the other actors in this drama, which is Russia and China and Japan and South Korea. He can't speak for all of those other parties. And I'm afraid that he'll try because he thinks it's a bilateral agreement, and he can just make a decision to have peace. And because I said there's pe- – no, there's, a ter- there's, there's decades of work that has been done, and we have to build on that. So I will consider it a success if he doesn't weaken the U.S. position by, say, agreeing to withdraw American troops because he's the commander-in-chief, right? And he would be respectfully unpredictable enough to make that assurance.
1: What, what- and all those troops should be there in your view?
4: Absolutely, yeah. We've spent $10 billion on this facility for a reason, over multiple administrations. Um, Now, I'm happy to see Japan, and, and I'll give the president credit for something. He was very clear on having our allies pay for more of their own defense. That's super important. Japan was paying us, I think, $2 billion a year to just be their guy, to protect them. Well, they need to step up, and they are. They just activated their own MU, the, like a mar- marine expeditionary unit, so they can now project force out. Where before they were just uh, Japanese defense forces, which 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 I I personally saw in action during during the earthquake uh, Fukushima, and they were admirable. So in the sense they already had the capacity, but now they're able to project force outside, mainly because of China.
0: Okay, Ryan Yantis, how
4: would you define success? This. I'm
0: going to go for a a simple. If uh, those two gents can get in the same room and have a conversation, Mm -hmm. uh, shake hands and and get the obligatory uh, uh, propaganda photos, but then walk out smiling and having a commitment to talking to each other and to finding a way forward. Uh, North Korea has got some profound um, human needs as far as uh, they lost 70 years of peace. And they want to get caught up, I think. So I'm going to say as long as the president goes in and has a good conversation, I agree with Roberto, don't give away the store, uh, but understand that the North Koreans have this bad habit of yo-yoing on agreements. And from their perspective, the West has bad habits of yo-yoing on agreements. So it's got to be the start of a dialogue. And it's not going to be simple, and it's not going to be fast. So the objective of the
1: first summit, this goes back to Reagan and Gorbachev, The goal of the first summit is to have a
0: second meeting and then a third and fourth meeting. And I do think, you know, uh, again, didn't vote for Trump, but he has built uh, major projects in a lot of really tough areas, you know, starting with New York City and Queens, where you can't just come in and say, here's my billion dollars, we're going to do what I want. It's not command and control. He has had to align constituencies and deal with... Uh, opposing voices, and find ways of getting things so done. So if he comes back with a hotel in North Korea, that'll be good. <laughs> well, you know, and there's the joke that uh, we don't go to war with countries that have <coughs> McDonald's in right. them. And according to the the intel I've read, the Kim family kind of likes McDonald's. So you know, if you see a,
1: <laughs> And so does the president. If you see That's Golden Arches... the, photo op, the two
0: of go. them having a Big Mac. Right. They could come and take in a Bulls game here in Chicago. I think McDonald's was started here in Chicago. Yep. Yep. So that we're starting to here. get this this nexus here. So the next summit could be, you know, around bull season in Chicago. I want to go,
1: I want to go back to Professor Hurd because I I don't think you liked that last answer, because, uh, you have not embraced the the two men getting together as anything positive coming out of it. You think it's all fluff and and basketball games and photo ops, uh, but I want to go back to. The fact of two people who are very powerful—they each have a reason that they want to uh, show off to the world. They want to be viewed as world leaders. Each of them are looking for respect because Donald Trump doesn't have much respect on the international stage. Uh, but you—you you, you have dismissed the, just the personal connection of these two men.
3: Well, I think your analysis is right. Both of them are aching for respect. I think as a political scientist, the next question will be, well, okay, what are they looking to accomplish? What do they want to do with whatever power they manage to amass by being respected? So we want to think about their interests, what goals they're trying to accomplish as a substantive matter. Can but, I
1: answer just to follow up on that? I think from the president of the United States, I think his goal is to see if North Korea can be convinced to lay down their weapons to, get a, to do away with nuclear weapons— so that America is never attacked by them, South Korea is never attacked by them. Japan is never attacked by them, and he in turn is saying i 'm going to promise you with maybe backing up the u s senate i 'm going to promise you we 're never going to invade you and by the way we 're going to start providing lots of support for you so that you can beef up the the economy of North Korea with support from Japan, and, and all the other com- countries that we work with. We're going to build you up so you have an economy that can be respected for your people, and it's, it may take 20 years. So we're going to do everything we can to make you a success and keep you alive and well. You're only 34 years old. We're going to keep you around for a long, long time, and all you have to do now is just lay down the weapons. That, that's where I think each person is looking for what they want. Because I think Kim Jong-un, he wants, he doesn't want anybody to assassinate him. He wants to be around. He wants to have the wealth of any, any any leader wants to have wealth. He wants to have wealth, power. And by the way, if he can look out and say that to his people, hey, you're eating, you're going to school, you're being educated, and you may be having a McDonald's or you may be wearing, you know, U.S. jeans, that maybe that's something that... uh, is important to him since, I mean, if popular culture is important to him, why would U.S. popular culture not be important to other people in North Korea?
3: Well, I think what the North Korean government wants is to be left alone, to organize their domestic affairs the way they want, and to interact with the outside world on their terms. So allowing openness in areas that they control and closing it down in areas that they're afraid of. On the Trump side, I think what he wants is to not look like a clown. He wants people to celebrate him and say how great he is. I think that's what he's trying to accomplish. That strikes to his anxieties. Mm -hmm. I think your more geopolitical analysis may be right for an American foreign policy establishment, the kind of professional class of foreign policy types who think about these things all day long, that what they're interested in is a way to uh, create a more stable uh, relationship that's demilitarized between North Korea and South Korea and North Korea and the U.S., So
2: so I think that one of the interesting things of the last month is that President Trump himself and the people around him have pulled back from the language of complete and irreversible nuclear disarmament. Um, the, um, right around the time when, uh, Trump, uh, was canceling the summit, what you saw was North Korea say they will not accept unilateral nuclear disarmament. It may be that President Trump has actually changed <clears throat> some of those goalposts, and that may be positive, because if we are going to have a protracted process, both sides have
1: to give. We have to pause. Next question, when we come back, John Bolton. Should he be in the room or out of the room? Back shortly. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799 7096. That's 760 799 7096. Or visit him online at Brian Sells the Desert.com. Mr. back in Chicago. Uh, before the break, we asked whether or not the National Security Advisor John Bolton, who is. Uh, I think most people would suggest a very conservative, hard right, whatever the term is, uh, who has been very outspoken in uh, really, uh, really tough language about, uh, about Korea for a long time, not just uh, in the last couple of days or the last couple of weeks since he's been the national security advisor. Um, should he be in the room or not?
2: Uh, I think it's problematic, to be honest. Uh, I think mm. that um, Pompeo, first of all, has been the person in the, this administration that has done the most to uh, broker the relationship with North Korea, um, and I think that it makes every uh, sense for uh, President Trump to continue to rely on Pompeo and to not push forward um, uh, his national security advisor, who is a lightning rod when it comes to uh, North Korea—it's um, um, already a volatile situation enough, and it just makes sense to not make it any more
0: volatile than you have to. Ryan Yantis, go with she your stronger hand and, and leave Pompeo out. I would not take him in the room.
1: Okay, Ian, I think I know your answer, but you'd say leave him home, right? <laughs> well, no, I
3: don't think that it matters that much. I think <clears throat> that sure he's a he's a lightning rod. It'll be interesting to see what the North Koreans make of Bolton's presence.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they will not like it.
4: I just think I think that Bolton is the opposite of what we need right now in that in that room. He doesn't bring any value. He's no he's totally transparent. He hated the UN. Like he's not about cooperation and multilateralism. He's about mm-hmm. American hegemony. Period. So
1: having him not in the room sends a very strong signal to Kim Jong. I would think, if President, if he's traveled there and he's not in the room,
4: did you see him well, in the room in, in at the G
1: six or seven? <laughs>
3: Um, yes. He's in that, <laughs> I, he's that, in that, now that iconic he, photo. He is there.
4: What the he heck is are you there? You? Yeah, yeah, yeah it, he it.
2: is there. You, I don't think it's possible to really totally leave out the National Security Advisor altogether. I do think, however, that what you're seeing with President Trump is somebody who already likes personal diplomacy. Yeah. It's somebody who already doesn't uh, really rely on staff sure.
4: here, and Bolton is
2: <clears throat> simply staff when it comes to. Trump.
4: I wish McMaster was there personally yeah, yeah. I, I would
2: hr mcmaster i think would bring a lot of um confidence because that would not just be about having a uh, good judgment in the room that would be about knowledge, n- aptitude, knowledge and building relationships. relationships especially the military issues Absolutely. that will certainly be on the table i'm gonna yeah.
1: ask i'm gonna ask the out-of-the-box question which is what we do on this program uh, the vice president and the secretary of defense are left back in Washington, as well they should be. I'm, I'm, I'm always surprised that the president and vice president travel together so frequently. I, that, I don't. It's never been a, a thing in the past, but it, it is with this president. Uh-huh. Um, do you think there's any chance that there would be some attempt to um, hurt the president of the United States?
4: No, he's too useful. I mean, on a worldwide
1: stage, is is there any force, anyone in the world, that would see this as an opportunity to... Well, well Bruce, Bruce, there are plenty of
2: bad guys out there who that. would like nothing more. But Singapore than, is than almost impossible. But, well, it's, it is going to be the case that, um, uh, mm. that the president's uh, security detail will certainly have taken this into account. And I think much, much more depth than probably mm-hmm. the audience uh, here might realize. Right. Sure. This is not going to be lost on them yeah. and surely was uh, a key consideration of the exact location.
3: Mm-hmm. But Roberto is right that the Trump is very useful to the North Koreans. Absolutely. And so it's hard to and imagine the Russians them <laughs> seeing him, and the Russians, <laughs> yeah. Right. So, well, but they're not
2: the only people that
4: might want to well, see. Right, but capacity-wise, that, yeah. capacity-wise. Well, you know, I'm
0: fair. sorry. You know, on September <clears> 10, <throat> t- 2001, we didn't imagine, and, and there was a failure of security True. and imagination. True. Yeah. So the bad guy always gets a vote. Yes. And their, their they motives, have to be right once. Their their motives may be yeah. tangential to what we want. But um, you know that would be something if uh, somebody was able to accomplish a terrorist attack. But you need act. means and motive. Like we Understood. have plenty of
4: people with with, me, with motive. We just don't have a lot of people with means that we have not countermeasures. I think nothing's impossible. But
0: uh, I'm going to go back and say it. A of course, lack nothing's of impossible. Or yeah. a failure of sure, imagination sure, 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 sure. because the the uh, the Kabuki theater of hijacking in the 1970s and 80s <coughs> Set the stage. led yeah. to why we failed so badly yeah, yeah. on 9/11.
4: The the president's precious to us, and we we will protect him with everything we have.
1: Okay. Well, again, I haven't heard it discussed. Maybe it's an overstatement, but I'm saying you've got to ask ask the what-if question. Something else I said a few weeks ago is that uh, Vladimir Putin, he's been off the front pages for several weeks now. Mm. I suggested that maybe when this summit was going on, he might rear his ugly head and try something somewhere
0: in the world. That's possible.
1: But
4: he's on the Manafort file right now. I mean, he's just laying low. Yeah, I think that's Manafort's right. going I'm, to jail. I'm with Roberto here.
0: I think that
2: Putin has a lot of things already working in his uh, favor. Mm-hmm. Uh, President Trump, just at the G7 summit, um, uh, tried to uh, bring Russia into the room, at least verbally. Uh, yeah. And that's something that uh, – so, so Putin, I think, has a lot going for him now. Yeah. And to do something during the summit to disrupt this – this relationship it hurt, with Trump, we, would interest. probably not be a very no. good move.
1: What does the president's suggestion that Vladimir Putin and Russia go back into the G8, G6 rather? It means G7. he doesn't,
4: he doesn't understand Crimea.
1: Why, why would he be doing that? I want to hear your answer. I think I know your answer, but go ahead. Well, Ian.
3: I mean, it's kind of sad to say, but it seems like he has almost <clears> consistently, <throat> Trump has done things that serve Russia's interests. And this serves Russia's interests. It has become shockingly unsurprising.
0: Roberto, the the head
4: the head of the FSB um, had a guy named Konstantin Co- FSB. Uh, the, the the KGB turned into the FSB, okay. and, you know, and Putin's a KGB man, right? And they right. say once a KGB man, always a KGB man. Yeah. So when Manafort got indicted. Um, he's got 25 felony charges. One of them is a co-conspiracy cons- conspiracy with Konstantin Kolenep, who is a active Russian intelligence operative right now who has fled the U.S. Hmm. That guy is the connection to the Ukraine clients that Manafort had, who were in, I'll just say, communication with Manafort while he was the campaign chairman. So when you say that, you know Putin's just taking a break. I think he's counting his chips. He's got a lot of lot of capital coming his way, and so I'm excited to see the Mueller investigation moving forward. I predict that Manafort will be in jail by the fourth of July, and um, and and I trust the FBI to do their job.
1: And you be- and you believe that by beating that horse. The Mueller horse, the collusion horse.
4: Twenty-five felony charges, 20 individuals charged, 75 indictments. uh,
1: Okay, you you got it down. You got it it, (laughs) Democratic talking point. Sure, sure. You believe that by having that, the Democrats are not going to need any other issue to convince them to... Vote for Democrats it's not a partisan issue. That's the only I, issue. I,
4: I want, I want, I want Mueller to be allowed
2: to do his job. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that Putin um, has already come up this weekend, yeah. and I'd be surprised if the, if Trump himself would want Putin to kind of outshine what's about to happen at the summit.
0: Well, earlier question was, you know, what, what is uh, President Trump's goal or what's his uh, desired end state? Uh, several times over the past couple of days, he's been on camera talking about. Other presidents have had this challenge 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. 15 years ago, 10 years ago. They all failed you. I will do it. The guy's got a huge ego, uh, and he's very competitive. He wants to to win. And I I think the selection of Singapore is uh, also very telling in this discussion because Singapore in the 1960s uh, was not a nice place. Mm -hmm. And 50 years later, once they opened up to the West, once they embraced – the rule of law, not the rule of man. Free markets. Free markets. Yeah. Singapore has got uh, many of the Western countries, uh, Western world, the leading economies beaten in uh, many categories. So being in Singapore is part of possibly the lesson for uh, Kim Jong-un. Mm. If you do these things in 50 years, in, in your lifetime, Perhaps you can see these good things for you, yourself and your people. So, so but Bruce, the Kim like family Singapore. regime, the, that crime syndicate, right. is going to be the tough nut to crack. Those crime. generals so, are so criminals. Bruce, can
2: I ask the table a question? Sure. How many think that uh, Kim will actually surrender, not today, but at some point, all of his nuclear weapons? Never. So I'm
4: skeptical
2: that we'll see Never. zero. There's 24, in North Korea. 25
4: right now. He might give two or three that are not working. He's got two backup facilities right now. So I think this is the
2: $64,000 question that we yeah. really are – it's underneath much of our discussion. I don't believe he will go to zero.
1: I don't and believe he'll go to zero either. And also uh, the fact that he already has a meeting scheduled with Assad, yep. that worries me as well. Yeah. And then Putin.
3: It gets back to Roberto's point earlier about being afraid that Trump will give away the store. So if Trump takes seriously a commitment to be at zero – then I think that maybe be essentially not. giving up the store because that's not credible.
0: Yeah. Oh, and, and then there's I'm all the guy that says this is the first of many conversations. <laughs> right. And again, I didn't vote for Trump, so I feel comfortable on but two would you,
1: But would you, if, 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 if you were uh, in that meeting, Ryan, mm-hmm. and again, uh, everybody is suggesting that uh, the president wants to get a one-on-one r- right from the get-go right. uh, and go off in a, in a side room uh, and, and talk, uh, which is what uh, Reagan and Gorbachev did at their at their first summit. That that's where this uh, the mano mano is going to be set up and the relationship is going to be set up. Would you think that the president should say something like, "Why don't you cancel your meeting with Assad"? I would hope
0: he would. I mean, the the problem is the Kim family regime has been so invested in the Middle East and Africa. And they are tapping into that. Hey, we're all good socialists working well together, and we're all outside the Western influence. So, we'll help you build your palace. We'll help you build your bunker. We'll help you build your mon- monuments, and that gives hard cash back into the Kim regime. Okay. And so, yeah, cancel the meeting with the side. Okay, uh, uh, that's that. one of the
1: demands or suggestions ask. from Ryan. Yeah, ask, ask nicely. Uh, I'm Bruce Dumont. back shortly. One more segment. Don't go away. Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, the experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv do my back in Chicago. Uh, we're talking about, uh, actually, we're talking about the uh, uh, Libya just a few moments ago, or during the break. And Robert uh, Ryan, why don't you make your points about uh, Libya? Because uh, Libya was once a country that had uh, nuclear weapons, and we said give them up, and we gave them up, and then we got well, it wasn't of their just us;
0: it was the uh, Anglo allies. <laughs> yes. France was included because they have vested interest in the. The Mediterranean Crescent. So he's got to know that story. Gaddafi created his nuclear weapons and capabilities for cash and access to Western markets with uh, Libyan oil. And unfortunately, within about eight years, he managed to uh, uh, alienate his, uh, his people, and he was overthrown and killed. That's a big fear uh, if we hold that up that Libyan model which Bolton said hey I yes. see North Korea going the Libyan model so if I was one of the Kim family regime I'd say nope don't want any part of that right and the bigger question which Bruce was talking or excuse me Bob was talking about over the the break is how do we get to zero how do we get North Korea to agree to give up all their nuclear weapons and that's a tough yeah, I, th-
2: I think there's a strong case to be made that there is no credible uh, plan to get North Korea to zero. So nuclear weapons um, are a very powerful guarantee of a state's security. That's not just true for North Korea. That's true for us here in the United States. We're not going to give up all of our nuclear weapons. So why should we expect any other country that has nuclear weapons to truly go to zero? They can't imagine the security threats five years from now, ten years from now, thirty years from now. Now, I do think we could come up with plans to reduce... Um, but I think that it's we haven't seen anybody come up with even a half-plausible story of
4: how you're really going to get to zero. There is a brand did a study um, just, I think, last year. And they talked about uh, their key findings were that the North Korean elites wanted certain guarantees post-unification because they're going to lose all of their quality of life relative to the poor people, right? And, and they, they're going to need amnesty and legal protection because they've done some bad stuff. And, you know, th- th- there, are, there is a, a recommendation that from Rand that in order for this to be uh, doable, we're going to have to give them a ton of money. Just basically bribe them. And, um, I mean, everybody can just Google the, the study.
2: I, I believe you that yeah. there is such, such a yeah. study. I just don't think it's really uh, – let's put it this way. We can think we can sucker them into it. And maybe, like Gaddafi, they'll be a sucker. But that doesn't mean that we think it's actually a credible plan. So what I'm really asking is a different question, which is, can we come up with a truly credible plan that we think they should accept? Now, maybe they'll be stupid enough to just well, take, take I a bad would, deal. I,
1: Ian, what are your thoughts on that?
3: No, I think that's right. And I think that more generally the strategy is right of thinking about what it is that the North Koreans want. It's – as a basic negotiating strategy, that's a good place to start to think about what it is they're trying to accomplish, what, what and they're using these they, weapons. What, you
1: know, what do you think? What do you think they do want? I think they want to be left alone. Yeah, this government does. Yeah. They yeah.
3: want it. They don't want to be told what how to govern, and they don't want to be threatened with destruction all the time. They want to be left alone. But nuclear weapons are a useful device but, for that.
1: But I is there any? Is there any way that, or I'm asking everybody. Uh, we're talking about Donald Trump giving away the store, concerned about giving away the store. Is there a possibility that Kim Jong-un could be giving away the store, and when he goes home, maybe he's not going to be around much longer? How much fear does he have in his own domestic, with his own domestic security and everything else that, that he's got to not be as generous as we would like him to be?
2: This is not a crazy worry, Bruce. Um, so Sadat cut mm-hmm. a deal with Israel— only to find a few years later he was assassinated For the deal yep. so uh, Rabin um, the an Israeli Prime Minister uh, was cutting a deal at Oslo only to find himself assassinated uh, by an Israeli um, um, uh, for uh, that uh, that that deal yeah. so these kind of deals that we talk about here um, I don't think there's much of a risk here on our side with our president I do think though that for for Kim we can't tell whether it's a serious risk I'm not telling you that we should really think Ian, this of that
3: yeah I think that's that's thinking the right way because this is clearly on I would imagine on the minds of people like this Um, but I think that he for the North Koreans to give away the store would presumably be to actually get rid of all their nuclear weapons and to allow the kind of open inspection that would certify that that would be giving away the store irreversibly. I could imagine that in this meeting Kim may offer that and Trump may be gullible enough to take it but as as Ryan was suggesting for something like that to happen is going to require a long-term of decisions, independent decisions that others in the regime are going to have to carry out, and so that we'll never get to the end of that sequence.
1: Do, do the North Koreans know what nuclear weapons they have? Do the North Koreans even know that this summit is going now, there's on? There's
3: very little discussion of the summit in the North Korean media, at least so we are told. Um, right.
0: And, and the big problem for uh, young Mr. Kim is – Uh, Singapore is about a 10-hour flight, I think, uh, from North Korea, and he's not Mm -hmm. flying on a state aircraft, not a North Korean aircraft. Um, And if he does something that uh, somebody who is in quiet power in North Korea doesn't like, Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole lot of ocean for that airplane to disappear into on its way back to North Korea. And And I'm not trying to spin a conspiracy, but... they've
1: proven that in the past. Yeah, they're they're ruthless.
0: I mean, they've attacked... um, They've assassinated family members, they've dropped airplanes, they've captured ships at sea. The North Koreans have a uh, very established pattern of being ruthless when they want to and when they need to.
3: And if it's true that this isn't being discussed in the North Korean media, I think that's telling you something about the domestic politics of how the regime thinks this is going to be seen. They may be holding it back until they can trumpet some kind of success, but it shows that they're nervous about how people will see
2: this. And also that just the language of abandoning nuclear weapons, as Ian is saying, doesn't mean it will happen. The United States, when it signed the non proliferation Treaty, committed itself to eliminating its possession of nuclear weapons. And that was how many years ago? Fifty years ago? We're still under... Working on them.
1: (laughs) Gentlemen, we are out of time. Robert Pape, Ryan Yantis, uh, Ian Hurd, and Roberto Montaigne we thank you very much for joining us this week on Beyond the Beltway. Obviously, the world is going to be focused on what's happening next week in Singapore. And, again, uh, the day after is President uh, Trump's birthday, so maybe this is yeah, surprise birthday. a surprise birthday uh, a, a card there that's uh, maybe, maybe someone's going to pop out of a cake. <laughs> Ar- not with a army machine. birthday is and the Army 14th. birthday is coming up, when? On? on the 14th. On the 14th, that's Flag, Flag Day. Day. For, Flag Day for anyone over 50, that's Flag Day in the United States. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg and Dan Dorfman for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from
5: sh- Chicago. <laughs> when is the best time to talk to your family about staying in touch during a disaster? When floodwaters reach your door? When wildfires are engulfing the edge of your neighborhood? Or an earthquake is destroying buildings? Or is the best time, perhaps, today? During a disaster, you may not be able to stay in touch with your family or friends as easily as you think. Go to ready.gov slash communicate and make your emergency plan today. Don't wait. Communicate. Brought to you by FEMA and the Ad Council.
1: Live from Chicago, it's Saturday Night Live, The Experience. Tuesday through Sundays and open late on Wednesday nights at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. Order tickets at museum.tv. Are you planning for the day when you can retire to your dream home in Palm Springs, California? A day surrounded by spectacular scenery, golf courses, a rich cultural life, and great dining? If you are, you'll need a guide, someone who knows where to look, an experienced broker, someone who knows the desert communities of Southern California and all they have to offer. That person is Brian Beard, who's been making dreams come true for over 13 years, selling over $100 million in real estate, including celebrity and architecturally significant homes to the rich and famous, and more importantly, to people just like you. Brian's company, Caldwell Banker, has agents worldwide, but Brian Beard is your man in Palm Springs. Call Brian now at 760 760- 799-7096. That's 760-799-7096. Or visit him online at Briancellsthedesert.com.